Hey everybody, it's me again, Christopher Jason Bell, and this is Indie Beat. You weren't wrong. That's what this show is. You're listening to it. You're in the right place at the right time, and you made the right click. So thank you. I appreciate it. Today, I am talking with Sarah Salovara. Hi, Sarah. Hi, I'm sorry. I am, I'm smiling so wide right now. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was not expecting like a full-blown Sirius XM style intro. Dude, I, just, I had a lot Hello, of candy. Christopher. How you doing? Christopher Jason Bell with three names. Yeah, you mean you got to do it. There's already there's already a dude. He's um he like made a documentary about uh Oh, I know pills. there's a dude. I know there's a dude because you I think you follow probably like 40 Chris Bells on Twitter. In my heyday, yeah, I did do that. Oh, you did. You stopped doing that. I've cut some. Okay. I've cut some. Um so Sarah was at one point a film journalist, a programmer, and still currently a filmmaker. So I'm still kind of a programmer, too. Yeah, that's fine. But we can talk about that. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, but f- let's go like to the very beginning, and why don't you tell us how you got interested in movies? Oh, Lord. Um, I don't know. There... I. Thinking about it, like, there's really no entry point. It, it was just kind of always a thing in my life, I think, because my mom was really into movies, and my dad coincidentally hated them. So she could never really go out on hot dates with my dad, and she always took me to the movies growing up. And I was always... One thing that I did when I was little is I would always stay through the credits. Like, you know, you see the really hardcore theater dwellers, um do in in rep cinema like I I was doing that probably from when I was like five years old just because I was so obsessed with like going up online and looking everyone up afterwards and seeing how they got where they were and I think that there was some part of me that was always interested in in filmmaking but when I was younger actually I wanted to be an actor like I took acting classes uh at a young age at HB studios. Cause I grew up in New York. That's in, that's in the meatpacking district down when they're actually, or back when there used to be, um, you know, like hooks hanging from what is <laughs> now intermix or, or whatever it is. Um, and yeah, so I wanted to be an actor. I acted in some plays throughout <laughs> high school. And then I also sort of started experimenting and like taking janky summer workshops, probably at the New York Film Academy and making stuff that was really bad. I majored in international studies and writing seminars, which is basically like their creative writing, uh, English interdisciplinary major. Mm. And by my junior year, I was sort of over the whole thing. And I just started taking a lot of film courses. I I took one, um, with Matt Porterfield, actually, who teaches there. Mm -hmm. Um, He still does, I believe. And that course was one of my favorite classes that I took at, in college. um, Because it wasn't just a straight production course. It was co-taught by uh, Matt and this woman named Meredith Ward, who had a little more academic background. Like she was a PhD from, Northwestern, I think, in sound design. 
Um, and it was a theory and production course. So it was like, you know, reading about Bazin one week and then you would go out and make a movie and do an editing exercise based off of those readings. So like very academic in some way, but also when they would let us go out and, and make a film, you kind of could do whatever the hell you wanted. And I think a lot of other people in the major, because they knew they had like their crews already. They had someone that, that could go out and would be their DP, um, someone who would do sound. I didn't really know that many majors or anyone who was really making film at, at that school. So I just kind of did everything myself. Um, and, you know, I didn't make stuff that was super great. It was like me running around Baltimore um, with like a large Panasonic camera and, and going to the woods and like kind of filming myself. Um, but it was, it was the mo most fun that I had had in college in a while. And then that's, it sort of started to slowly dawn on me as I spent more time around the film kids, like, Oh, this is actually really what I want to be doing. And I can't pretend like I'm going to go into politics or whatever the hell I was thinking when I decided to be a major in international studies. So what was your experience like, uh, programming? So I think that programming, while it did like kind of detract from my own filmmaking and my time, uh, that I could dedicate towards that, it was very helpful in that it, it, allowed me to realize kind of how arbitrary the process can be sometimes. Mm. Um, because really, like, I mean, this was a very, very small festival, mind you. We did not have a screening committee. I've been on screening committees before for, like, medium-sized film festivals, and those were, you know, 30 people. I don't even want to know what Sundance and South by Southwest look like. But um, in those cases, it's kind of like if – you don't have a lot of names or you don't necessarily know the programmers or have a foot halfway in the door. Um, you know, you could get assigned to someone on the screening committee who just doesn't really jive with your movie. And then that's it. It goes in the no pile, you know? Um, so I think it's helped me to be, take things less personally as a filmmaker, for sure. This is like halfway answering your question because I'm answering it. Um, as like what I've learned from a filmmaking standpoint. Yeah, no, but I think that's I think that's really important, and I think it needs to be said. I think I've said something along the lines before, but the more we can get that out, the better. Yeah, especially yeah. because there's like you know compared to 15 years ago or whatever, like how many films there are now, and it's just like you're dropping the bucket, and if someone totally. doesn't you know like the taste, uh, yeah. You know, you're not a shithead. It's just like, it's fucking hard, you know? it's. I mean, I also, at this point, like, and this is not to sound, I hope this doesn't sound entitled or anything, but it's kind of like, at this point, I don't really know what sense it makes for me to do blind submissions because I just know what it looks like on the other end. Like, I don't necessarily have to know the programmer directly, but like, yeah, I'm going to hit up my friends who might know this person and can link me you know, hook me up with them via an email so I could like, Hey, ask for a waiver. You should always, that's a note I would say for filmmakers too, is like always ask for a waiver because the worst thing that happens is you get told no. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the times if you make a convincing case, you, you know, they'll say yes. <laughs> um, Tips and tricks. But okay. So you had a tweet and you were like basically saying that you wished, um, other film festivals didn't parrot 
the uh, bigger festivals in terms oh, of yeah. programming, which yeah. I've always thought that always frustrated me as like someone who like still hasn't premiered at like a big festival with like any of my films. So I often felt like it was kind of a pain in the ass to be like, all right, well then I'll try like a smaller one, but then you see the smaller one rejected you. And then it's basically just doing, you know, yeah. what the other film festivals did. I mean, um, it's really hard because I think like smaller regional film festivals, cause that's what Nantucket is. It's a regional film festival. Like, they want the hot titles from some, like the that's what the audience wants, right? They want like the celebs in the building and they want what everyone was talking about in Park City. And it does get into like this spiral jetty where it doesn't really seem like if you don't premiere at Sundance South by Tribeca, you know, your odds decrease immediately you know from there uh as to getting substantial play on the circuit i think when i was programming i never really tried to take the easy road out i always wanted to look at films that hadn't played a ton of other places but i think also when you are a programmer you are not programming for yourself you are programming for an audience which is speaking of parroting that's something that gets said a lot i think Mm -hmm. um but it's true, right? Because, like, there were some titles that, you know, I would beg Basil to put in the program because I loved it and it was kind of obscure. And then, like, five people would come, you know? Yeah. And it would make, like, the festival zero money, which is obviously is, like, a whole other discussion. But um, the, the finances of it all. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, I really wish that it it was easier um, because, you know, we talk about the quote-unquote democratization of new media all the time, and there are so many new people out there making, making things, um, and it still hasn't quite gotten to the point, I feel like, where it's fully, I mean, <laughs> this is so, now that I'm saying it out loud, it's it's stupid because it's so obvious, but it's all obviously like the system is not democratic, right? Like yeah. it's a lot of, and that was something I also learned as a programmer. I think I learned a lot about the kinds of movies I don't want to be making yeah. um, that I actually saw like continually the sort of the same algorithmic tropes as like the, that year's like that festival circuits, big success story. Um, and I was like, well, maybe I don't aspire to something <laughs> like this. Yeah. Um, and what does that mean? And like, where is there a place for me? And that's something I think that I've been dealing with a lot, even more so now that like I finally have finished this nun project um, and it's going to be out in the ether soon. It's like I have, and this usually happens with me where I, I sometimes I get too consumed, like working on one thing at a time. And it's hard to, for me to think about what's next. And then immediately as it's sort of tapering off, I get like a bajillion new ideas and none of them have anything to do with a feature film. And so like, what does that mean for me? Like, I feel like that changes a lot of where, cause I, Basically, I think, like, the old independent model, right, was that, like, you made a couple shorts, 
people liked them. You generated interest, you attached a name maybe, and then you made a feature. Um, but if I don't foresee myself going down that path, like where am I going? You know, yeah. does it mean like veering more towards installations? Like I don't, it's, I'm, it's something that I'm like still kind of sorting through. So let me die a nun. Can you give us a short, uh, like log line or whatever? You want my elevator pitch, hon? Yes. Let Me Die a Nun is about a young postulant, a.k.a. soon-to-be-nun, is what I'm saying for all my lay people out there, <laughs> um, named Ursula, who realizes that she might be gay and explores the option of potentially leaving the convent. Uh, and while this is going on, she is being hotly pursued by a Jewish fellow named Robert who has decided that if he converts to Catholicism, he will be able to marry her, run away happily ever after, etc. It's The way that I came to this was very strange um, in that, and just like we can go back and talk about how prescient I am in terms of the zeitgeist. Uh, so like a few years ago, probably around the time Jill Soloway was reading it, like I, I Love Dick was getting really hot again because it had been reissued. And I read it. I loved it. I read a bunch of other Chris Krauss books. Um, and I remember reading a lot of criticism on it from, you know, capital white, capital feminist journalists um, who loved how, you know, Chris Krauss in that book just kind of lays bare the complicity that women face uh, in their subjugation at the hands of men, like when they're being courted. And I was like, well, that's not why the book's interesting to me at all. The reason it was interesting to me was because uh, it totally flipped the script. Like I had never seen a woman so obsessively pursue a male character without knowing him from Adam before, you know, uh, that she was able to create this entire projection and just let it totally lead her astray and get lost in it, which is something that like in retrospect, I think that I've dealt with in pretty much everything that I've made up until this point is like, you know, a, what we expect from strangers and like, our expectations of nascent relationships. And, um, so it, it, so basically I was thinking about this and I was like, I wanted to write a rebuttal, uh, and, and sort of why I thought this was the most interesting part of what had now become this, like, you know, modern feminist touchstone or whatever the book is, mm -hmm. uh, in, in popular parlance. Um, and so, I was thinking about that and I was also thinking about a lot of like eighties John Cusack movies, like say anything and how he's really just like a fucking creep all the time. <laughs> and he like won't leave these women alone. And so I thinking about those two things. I kind of wanted to like satirize this notion of like the romantic comedy is suitor, um, who's like, won't take no for an answer. And I, at this time, I guess also, this was like at the end of my last 
heterosexual relationship. Um, so I was like starting to realize that I was gay basically as these pieces were coming together. And I've always been, I grew up in a pretty religious family. I'm not Catholic, I'm Episcopalian, but like I've got, you know, priests at the wazoo in my fam. This, this was shot actually at my second cousin's church near Times Square. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And he's, he's an Episcopal priest, but he's like high Episcopal. Like they have nuns in next door in their, you know, quarters. Um, so I kind of wanted to do something within the framework of religion and like what it would be. And, you know, an autobiographical standpoint, obviously is like what it means to be coming out in a, a sort of society or where, you know, it change it changes everything for you. And I, sorry, I shouldn't say autobiographical because that's not the case for me. Like, obviously it has changed a lot, but it's not like I had to um, decide to leave my vocation as the character uh, contemplates doing in this, the series, Ursula, yeah. the well, character, because she realizes she might be gay. Like, that's a huge thing, obviously, in the church. Yeah. Um, even I mean, it's though, not... Even though it's celibate. It's not one-to-one, but, you know, you saying all this makes me realize how personal it was, which I didn't yeah. even, you know, I didn't know that, like, most of that I didn't know. So. Um, yeah, well, I think I think the way that I work is, like, I take a lot of personal emotional shit that I have going on, and then it's kind of filtered through, like, heightened, absurdist uh, situations, to, in, a, in an effort maybe to distance myself from it a little bit, but it's also still like working shit out, you know? I mean, it's, I've been working on this for a while now. Like it, it went through several, several drafts. And like, by the time that I was like almost done with it, like I had my first girlfriend and like, you know, it, and now like I have, I'm with someone else and it's just, it's, it's been with me for a while, you know? So it's funny. It's like, it's like mirrored, like a lot of, of my own personal life changes. Right. But why a web series? So when I actually sat down to start to write it, I found myself up against all of this potential for exposition because it's, it's very like, you know, you're just being kind of plopped into this scenario of like, here's a nun or rather she's a postulant. I should clarify. Um, she's not quite a nun. It's, you know, the step before you take your final vows. But so you have this main character and the first time you meet her, she's saying goodbye to a fellow sister. Uh, and you don't know why, but eventually you learn that, you know, they, they had potential relations. Um, and so obviously there's room all there to go, you know, to go ludicrous with backstory. And maybe that, that would be interesting to some audiences, but it was something that I, you know, distinctly, like I had always made the choice that I wanted to leave that off screen. And so with, with that, and also with Carl's character, Carl Kranz plays the fellow Robert, who is her, um, basically he's her stalker. He's a Jewish guy who, uh, becomes obsessed with her and is convinced that if he converts to Catholicism, they can be together. 
so the Carl character I felt was also kind of ripe for a lot of exposition and like digging into why the hell he is the way he is. But I just wanted to have it be like a very contained short story, but it wasn't short enough to be a short and it wasn't quite long enough to be a feature. And then I was just kind of, I found myself like writing out ends of scenes and I was like, Oh, well maybe this would actually work if it was like in an episode format, which is funny because I really do feel like through the writing process, I naturally came to that conclusion. Like it literally started as an essay and then I ended up writing a series of episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just funny because, you know, now obviously web content is very hot and everybody wants to get in on the action. And I, I think I was because of that in like my contrary fashion I was I was against the idea of making one um but I just realized that it was kind of the best format for the story that I wanted to tell as like cliched and canned as that sounds maybe it's just me but I feel like I don't know what to do with web series and I feel like you know we were both some form of film journalists and we kind of know what's going on but I never really figured out web series is and uh, I have a couple of friends who have made, you know, one or two, but I don't know what the landscape looks like. To me, it feels like oh, there's oh only, boy. I don't know. I just don't understand. No, I mean, I'm with you. <laughs> I don't know either. This was kind of what I was getting at. It's like, I think that everybody wants to have a web series, but there aren't that many proof of concepts yet. So I think people are still keeping like their wallets close to their chests, as it were. I mean, or they, either that or they just want nothing to do with me. I, I haven't <laughs> figured it out yet. Um, but basically, I mean, we did shop this around to a lot of people after we made it. And there were people who were like, yeah, we really like this, but, you know, we want to be able to produce it. Like, we don't want the finished product. Um, and we were in conversations with a, a network who has like a online arm before we made it and I pitched it to them and they were like, cool, you know, just got to run it up the flagpole. And I basically asked, you know, what the timeline would look like till green light. And it was something like a year and a half. And I was just like, I can't do this. You know, <laughs> I've already been working on it for so long. Uh, just in the writing process. And I just felt like I had to go and make it. Um, and so, yeah, that was a gamble. And I mean, it's still a gamble because as it stands now, we're doing a release party at Secret Project Robot. Everybody's invited August 3rd. Now you know. um, and then we're going to put it up online and like, just see what happens. Mm. Um, so I'm glad that we're doing this interview now. Um, you know, three weeks prior to that date because otherwise I might be super defeatist if it's like online and it has a hundred views. Um, I'm just kind of hoping and praying that it will find an audience. Um, because I don't like some people, I think it's niche for sure. But, um, I think a lot of people could be interested in it if we just find the right people. Yeah. You know? Anna Fabrega, who's the lead um, and a frequent collaborator now of Fred Armisen, um, 
I think she has like a sizable following. Hari Neff does too, obviously. Um, but you know, this role for Anna is very different than than what she normally does because she is actually ready for this pun, uh, the straight woman. <laughs> like everything around her is kind of so heightened that I made the decision to have. Um, a kind of grounded protagonist, even though she's going through so much inner turmoil of like, oh my God, I'm gay. Am I going to leave the church? What does this mean for my life? Holy shit, what am I going to do? None of that's really um, telegraphed on on the outside. Um, So it was like a pretty internal role, which I think was different for her. And it's fun. Yeah, it was just like funny to show it to her and, and for her to be she was very like hard on herself about it. But I think that she did a killer job. OK, so you contacted, I guess, a bunch of networks, whatever companies about this web series. Yes. And let's say it does well or whatever. Now you can talk to them. Is it something that's open where you could do more of it or explore another idea in like specifically web series format i'm technically supposed to be working on a series bible because someone that we pitched it to asked uh for one but i'm a lazy motherfucker no that's not true (laughs) i'm not lazy it's just like now all of my time has been consumed with like making trailers and like emailing people and begging them you know, to write about it or, or to interview me and like doing stuff on (laughs) Instagram. Uh, it's just, it's, that's what like a lot of my energy is geared towards right now. And it's hard because I know as a hashtag content, hashtag creator, this is expected of me, but I also, you know, I work a full-time job. I work 10 to six every day and I travel like usually two times a month for work. So it's a lot, um, but I like it that way. You know, I like to be busy. I just need to find time. I, for me, this is so stupid. I'm, I hate myself for saying it already, but it's like you can't rush writing, right? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to just like crap out something on the page and be like, here's your breakdown for like season one. Um, I want to actually be able to like spend time with it. And Rachel, my producer, and I had like a brainstorming session, so I didn't have to finish it. But anyway, yes, again, to answer your question, this is, I, I feel like the pattern here is that, like, you ask me something, and then I tell, like, 50 anecdotes, <laughs> and then I <laughs> conclude. Well, you, um, you basically ask, I'll ask a question, <laughs> then you'll answer five questions, which is great for me. I just want to make sure you're getting what you need. This is, um, yeah, it's all awesome. <laughs> the less uh, I talk, the better. I think that I really struck gold with this here concept. Uh, I know that nuns are really hot right now. Everybody wants a piece of the nunnery. Um, But no, in all seriousness, part of me in terms of what I want to be making is ready to move on because I have lots of other ideas for things I would like to explore. But I also don't. I'm definitely open to the idea of like expanding this further and and maybe like selling the concept. I don't know if I would want to keep making stuff in this world, but it all, I mean, it all depends. Um, I think it's very circumstantial, but like, yes, I'm planning to expand this into a, um, a series 
season one kind of breakdown, um, which would actually take place for the most part before the web series starts. So it's not like reiterating it. Mm. Uh, it is kind of exploring more of like that backstory that I was alluding to earlier. Gotcha. The idea is that like season one would maybe end with her leaving the convent. Spoiler mm. alert. So what is it about uh, feature films that you haven't been able to, or just haven't, you know, come up with an idea with? Honestly, I just, I've never been a huge subscriber to, subscriber, if I can speak English, (laughs) to the three-act structure, as we call it. Um, I remember when I was writing for Filmmaker, and I did, I used to do a bunch of profiles for the 25 New Faces issue, I interviewed Zia Anger. Uh, who, by the way, um, literally on like 24 hour notice agreed to be in our web series, um, called her up because I think, uh, well, I could say Josephine Decker was supposed to play the role, but she got like stuck at a Sundance lab or something. We called Zia up and she took a train down from Hudson and like shot out two scenes in an hour and a half and then got back on the train, just like a boss. Oh yeah. Um, but anyway, so when I interviewed Zia, I remember her saying something about how, like, you know, like the three-act structure is, like, inherently patriarchal or something. And, I mean, it's not it's not false. I just think there's something there that's just – I'm talking about, like, overt three-act structures, right? You know, yeah. where, like, you kind of see always where everything's going. I've much – I've much preferred movies as a viewer always where it's just like, you can just like kind of be, and I don't need to see any particular resolution or solution coming down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think that's a big part of it for me. I really just haven't found, and maybe it's also there's part of me that knows how hard it is to get a feature made. Uh, that's in the back of my head. And then, like, you release it and, like, not a whole lot of people see it. Mm. And it's just like, well, damn, you know? Mm. And there's some, I think that's why right now, like, last night I just made, like, a short video uh, about MFK Fisher when I, before I was going to bed. Cause I was like, I just need to do like fun, like little exercises like this. So I can stay like stimulated and feel like I'm, I'm creating stuff and working towards something, but like what it is, I don't know yet. I don't have all the answers. Chris. <laughs> Christopher Jason It sounds now. like you do. No, um, I don't. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, sorry, continue. No, I think that's a... I'm always, like, advocating for whatever, doing little small films or whatever you want to do, whatever length, and just, like, getting out there and doing it. And it's, you know, you might discover something that you wouldn't if you were, like, doing the old way or doing the proper way as, you know, you're kind of taught to, which is, you know, do a very specific kind of short film and then do your feature and then just sit around and write and do everything the proper way. But, um, I don't think that's, you know, not everyone can do that and you don't want to like stress out about it, but I think it's 
for a lot of people like liberating and healthy and you know will help with your development and i don't know kind of makes me happy so i assume it might make other people happy no i think so i think it's better to be doing something rather than just like sitting around waiting for someone to pop a chunk of change excuse me a chunk of change on your doorstep and say you know fly with the wind um (laughs) I don't know. I, yeah, there's just like a lot of elements of it. I think I remember in college because I took screenwriting courses as part of my major. Like I, I, we one class I took, the only assignment the whole semester was to just write a feature length script. Like we didn't have any other homework. Hmm. Uh, this is what your money goes to <laughs> when you send your kids to college. That costs like. Uh, you know, six sixty k a year or something. Thank you, America. Um, anyway, I just remember I was obsessed, and like I was going to the library, and our library is like scary as fuck. Like most of it is underground; there are no windows, and I would always go to the D level. It was called. It was like the last level. Uh, and I would steal like a grad student's desk because they had these nice spacious desks and I would just sit in there and I would just like pound this thing out (laughs) as soon as I got out of class. And I was totally into it and I have not had that happen since. Mm. Um, and I don't know why, like something just changed. I mean, I think that obviously when you are a student, you're in a vacuum of sorts because there's like a lot less to worry about rather than you know what's due the next day um but i haven't i haven't written a feature length script since um i've done like i've maybe thought of some outlines and had ideas but that's about it i also think to like the honest answer to your question is just like me being adb is how so i don't know like I can't, I can't stick with something that long and yet I will stick with like a web series for multiple years which is basically the same exact thing I don't know it I, I really don't know it's like if I if I write something that I like enough and I'm like get obsessed with making it and it happens to be a feature then like uh, that's probably gonna happen somehow some way mm. but it's not something that I'm necessarily working towards like I don't see it as a box I need to check off. And how did you find, um, like the aesthetic that you wanted to use and, and strike the, the tone that you wanted? Cause you talk about, um, Robert Carl's character and, um, how he's kind of based off, like, I guess what we used to think was like the charming, like, you know, I'm going to get, my romantic interest at all costs, which is now looking back on it, like kind of creepy and inappropriate. Correct. Um, so there's something inherently funny in it, but you're also like pushing that serious angle of being like, dude, you really need to back off. How yeah. hard was that to it's find, hard. like to get to that level, but also make it funny? Um, I think that a lot of my references, honestly, and what I was working from in making this were things, as you alluded to, that I was act- I'm was i actually not crazy about uh, in movies. So 
uh, I, I also, in addition to kind of satirizing this stalker suitor figure, I also wanted to, you know, rewrite the whole nunsploitation uh, genre. Not, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say rewrite the whole genre. Um, but it was kind of like a revisionist take on a lot of tropes that exist in that genre. Um, basically how all of the nuns are like sex starved psychos who just like go after their priests and, uh, end up slitting their wrists if, if they're rebuffed. Um, and I, and instead in writing this, I wanted to have the priest be kind of low key gay himself, although it not like so overtly so, because I, I also rub, with the idea of like the gay Catholic priest, haha. Mm. Um, but I kind of saw him more as as like uh, a, a figure who was in solidarity with with Ursula, uh, who is kind of helping her through this. He's the one that assigns her to the LGBTQ plus com- uh, community soup kitchen, uh, where which is where she meets Hari Neff's character, who is her love interest in it. Because although I'm pushing back against a lot of uh, tropes. I am not above a good old fashioned love triangle. Um, and another thing that I had in there, I had, uh, Eleanor Pienta who plays Susan, who is, uh, Ursula's kind of arch nemesis in the convent. She's like the very by the book nun who wants to do everything right. I had, uh, Anna, both Anna and Eleanor watch, um, like black narcissus and the more like, you know, traditional non melodramas, uh, thunder on the hill to the Douglas Sirk film mm-hmm. where just the way that the women talk to each other in these kind of like clip voices and everything's very serious. Um, but it's kind of allowed them to play that more for comedy, especially, uh, especially Eleanor. Cause again, as I said, Anna is, was the, sh- was the straight woman. Um, but yeah, the scenes between Eleanor and Anna are some of my favorites in it, and they were definitely some of my favorites to edit. Beyond just being concerned about filmic references, I really wanted to get, you know, the inner turmoil of the lesbian nun down. Like I spent a lot of time researching with my homies at the Lesbian History Archives in Park Slope, and I read this great book called uh, Lesbian Nuns Breaking Silence. Uh, <laughs> which is exactly what it sounds like. It's all of these testimonials of these women who were just, you know, they, they had kind of been feeling a certain way towards one of their sisters for a long time, but they didn't really know what it meant, only that it was bad because they had always been instructed that you're supposed to love everyone equally, like at all costs. Mm. Um, and so I was also interested in working some of that into um, Ursula, Anna's character, and her whole backstory. All right. Well, All thank right. you, Sarah, for coming on. Enjoyed talking to you very much. And we are going to link to the web series and the article accompanying this podcast episode. But guess what? Some people listen to it on iTunes, and, you know, they might not be at their computer. Is there a way that people can check it out on their own without clicking a link? Like a oh. URL? Sorry, that oh, was yeah, like a yeah, really yeah, yeah. dumb... I'm sorry, I didn't realize that was my cue. I was staring out into space.
It's called letmedianon.com. Punto com. And all of the episodes will be released on August 4th. So you can catch them there and, you know, spread the good word. I would appreciate it. Dude, hell yeah. Hell yeah. You know, <laughs> I have to say one thing that I have been learning recently, like in, in trying to spread the word is like, wow, I'm, I'm turning shameless and I kind of like it. <laughs> I think, I think that for a while I was like, a little bit, oh, like, you know, too ladylike or whatever the fuck about it. Just like, you know, how women are always kind of taught to, like, not be as, I don't know. All, I've heard of that, time. yeah. Okay, sorry, let me, get, let me get real gendered for a second. Just, like, <laughs> dudes, like, constantly going after what they want, putting it all out there. And for some reason, I've always been kind of, like, I don't want to say ashamed. That's a very dramatic word. But there's been something about me that hasn't been after what I want as much as I should be. So that's my, that's, that's my parting nugget of knowledge is that like, be shameless. Hell yeah. You, you spend so much time making something, go and get it. And like, if people tell you no, they tell you no, Fuck but, em. but then, but then you can't say you, you could have tried harder, you know? Yeah. Plus, everyone always asks you for shit, I bet, so fuck it, ask them too. I know, oh my gosh. I do I do miss that, uh, people hitting me up left and right. And I was good in, in my day. I obliged. <laughs> well, you got the good karma. Hopefully. Right? Let's see. It'll TV, do well. You're bringing me some sweet, sweet karma. I don't know about everybody else. We'll see about that. But, you know, they, they better because I'm going to start to burn bridges real fast. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Enjoyed talking to you. You rule and farewell. People watch the series, please. Please do it. Bye. Indie Beat and all the playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming, a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Movies film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Visit MUBI.com slash the playlist to start your special 30-day free trial. Regular people would only get seven-day free trial. So this is the real deal, people. You could do $5.99 a month or $47.99 for a full year. Movie is available via web or on any of your other favorite devices such as Apple TV, Samsung Smart TVs, Roku, PlayStation. So pause your game of Bonk's Adventure and watch some films, sonnies. Movie is a global platform, but programming is customized per country. Some highlights Movie is now showing in the U.S. of A. Six films by the great director Jean Renoir, including the masterpiece, the classic, the must-see Grand Illusion, and also the silent film Whirlpool of Fate, as well as other later films of his that are underappreciated. There's also Esther Kahn, which features a unique performance by Summer Phoenix. And last but not least, the recent film Homo Sapiens, which is a weird halfway blend between documentary and sci-fi. And I guess it's like post-apocalyptic after humanity's collapse. So sounds like something you should check out. And I say, do it. And do it right away. Well, you know what they say. That's all, folks. I appreciate you tuning in. Your ears are very important to me. Um, 
this has been going on for a couple months, this show, that is. Uh, please check out our older episodes and listen to the other filmmakers and check out their work. We're also part of the Playlist Podcast Network with other great shows such as Over Under, Adjust Your Tracking, Binge Worthy, all that great stuff. All of it definitely worthy of your ears, so please do check that out as well. I hope to have your attention again soon. And that's it. Everyone take care. I love all of you. And that does it. Bye-bye.